0: be dismissed, they said it's time to lift our voice, sing praises to the Lord, let's prove that we will trust Him, come what may, God wants to hear you. It's <laughs>
1: Bibles. Turn over to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're just going to read one verse. Again, we're in our study on mission of the church, the mission of the church, okay? And uh, today we're going to talk about hindrances to the master plan or hindrances to that particular mission that God's given us to do. And so we're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to kind of summarize the master plan again, just to make it real fresh in our minds. And then we'll go ahead and talk about some hindrances, things that keep us from accomplishing the master plan, or keep us from fulfilling the purpose and plan that God has for our lives, for our church, and uh, for our communities, even. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 8. You might even have it memorized if you do. Wonderful. The Bible says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now we start talking about the master plan. There were some spiritual principles that we addressed, or that we spoke of, that we touched on. First of all, we talked about prayer. We said that prayer was one of those spiritual principles in the master plan. It's necessary, it's needful, it's absolutely necessary. Actually, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. Boy, I mean, the early church was a praying church. The early church was a praying church. And the truth is, is if we're going to be effective in this master plan, reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we too must be a praying church. So we saw prayer as one of the spiritual principles. Also, we saw Holy Spirit power. We talked about the fact that we need Holy Spirit power. Now, again, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, we read, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Again, if we want to accomplish anything great for God, anything good for God, anything even remotely, closely, reflecting what God intends for us to accomplish, then we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're doing it in the power of the flesh, if we're doing it by our own might, our own strength. It's not going to be accomplished. We have to do it in his strength, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Then we noted also that not only prayer, Holy Spirit power, but going is a spiritual. Yeah, going. It's a spiritual thing. You need to go. Acts chapter five, verse 42 and daily in the temple and in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The early church was a going church. I mean, not only were they a praying church, not only were they a Holy Spirit empowered church, but they were a going church. They were out there going house to house, door to door. They were reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, making an impact and influencing their culture and their community for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we saw that that not only prayer, Holy Spirit power and going, but also one of those spiritual principles was strong pastoral leadership and preaching. And again, that's something that in our culture, in our day, may not be true, truly appreciated the way it ought to be. I mean, we, everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to do whatever they want. Nobody wants anyone telling them what to do, obviously. And so we say, uh-oh, strong pastoral leadership. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. But that's not really what it's all about. We we realize that a pastor has to be strong in his conviction. He has to be strong in his, his uh, uh, <clears throat> understanding of the Word of God. He has to have some principle and he has to have some standards. And, and he wants to and, and lead his church into fulfilling and completing and accomplishing the, the will of God for the church today. And so they're, they're, it's important that there's strong leadership and preaching. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says, Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not filthy Luther, but of a ready mind. Again, taking the oversight thereof. So the pastor has to have strong leadership. We want this thing to work. If we truly want to reach our city in our Jerusalem for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we want to expand out past our Jerusalem, and even go out into the surrounding areas and ultimately our country and around the world, then there's going to need to be strong leadership. And God has ordained that it come through the pulpits. And it, listen to me, I'm not trying to be negative, I'm not trying to be critical, I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm not even trying to be you know, prideful or arrogant or cocky or anything like that. I'm simply saying this, that it's not the pew, it's the pulpit that it comes from and through. God intended it to be that way. And so it's so important that we understand that. So spiritual principles, prayer, Holy Spirit power, going, strong pastoral leadership and preaching. Then also we've seen some mechanical principles. We talked about those. First of all, we said, okay, if we're going to accomplish this wonderful goal of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, going with the gospel, telling others how to be saved and ultimately seeing fruit that remains, then we're going to have to show and teach in public. That means demonstrate some things. In Acts chapter one, verse one, the Bible says the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Again, he began to do and teach. All right. So there has to be that aspect of, of demonstrating what needs to be done and how to get it done. Now, we spent a number of weeks going through what we called our, our soul winning training and ultimately leading into soul winning certification. And so, you know, we took time to try to, to show it and to teach it in, in our, 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 our auditorium here and in, in our, uh, um, I guess, our church, if you will. So that's the first aspect of this. There has to be showing and teaching in a public manner here. OK, but but hold on. It didn't stop there. We made that very clear. That's not where it ends. OK, I can teach you something. Oh, throw a book at you and say, now read that. Get it done. But listen, let's face it. In those days, they didn't have people couldn't read. Most people couldn't read. And so the fact was they had to be shown how to do something and told how to do it. And that's what we did. We said, here it is. Let me, let me show you. Let me demonstrate here in this public manner, right here, right here in this place. Hold on. That's not where it ended, though. Not only show and teach in public, we said, but on the job training. On the job training. The doing of it. Not just the demonstrating of it, but the doing of it. And we said, listen, if you've been so certified and you are able to lead people to Jesus Christ, then you need to take somebody with you that doesn't know and show them how to do that in a actual setting out there where it really counts. And let them see you lead someone to Christ and then get an opportunity to do the same thing on the job training. OK, so there's that element of show and teach in public. But then there was on the job training. And finally, we noted that the, the last element is perfect the saints. Perfect the saints in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 and 12. We read and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and uh, excuse me, prophets and some evangelists and uh, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, again, here's the reality of it. All right. The perfecting of the saints. We are to show and teach and demonstrate and do until they can teach others. I mean, the fact is tonight is that we are not fully perfected till we can teach others. You know, I remember I've told you in the past that it's one thing to pass a math test and say, well, I think I know the material. It's another thing to teach it. Now, listen, you really know the material when you can teach it to somebody. And, you know, that's what we were talking about. I mean, I know, like I said, people, you know, kind of had a heart attack at first when I said, we're not only going to have written tests, but we're going to have a verbal test. You're actually going to have to lead someone to Christ and pass a verbal test. People went, (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me, preacher? You mean I'm going to be put on a spot like that? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And we made it very clear why that was, because we didn't want Sunday school teachers trying to lead a kid to Christ, don't even know how to lead him to the Lord. We want folks to be very confident in their ability to lead folks to Christ. And and in that confidence, then they'll be more apt to tell others of Jesus Christ. And then they'll they'll actually be equipped to take others with them and show them how to do it. Man, I tell you, we've got such a big job to do. It takes more than one or two or ten. It's going to take an army to reach this city. And so nonetheless, we are grateful for what God has been doing. And we're certainly thankful for what, the results that God's giving us. And we have much work to still do, obviously. But boy, thank you for the prayers and continue to strive and, and be out. We had a, a group last night and we had folks saved last night. That was exciting. That was good. And so we're thankful for that. But nonetheless, uh, we want to keep on going. So those are some of the... Uh, I guess if you talk about the master plan, the spiritual principles, the mechanical principles that we have already discussed, and I've just taken a few minutes to briefly run through those so that we can have the backdrop now of what are some of the hindrances to that master plan or accomplishing this particular mission and goal, because that's what God intends every New Testament church to do, every New Testament church, um, let me give you just four of those tonight, and I'm not going to waste. I, I, some, I thought about some illustrations I could use for what hindrances are and how, you know, if I was going to sing a song, I could, you know, all that stuff. But I'm not going to waste the time. Let's just get right into it, and we'll just move along tonight. Let's pray. Father, help us now in these next few minutes. Again, thank you for these that have gathered today. Lord, we are excited, Father, just to see so many faces and so many folks that are anxious to hear from heaven. And Lord, we just ask, your God, that you would just... Help them, Father, not to hear from a mere man tonight. May they hear from you, the Master. And, Lord, I have nothing, Father, in myself to give them, but Holy Spirit of God, fill me and allow me to be your mouthpiece, Lord. May you just anoint my lips. And, Father, may you anoint every listening ear as well, that we may hear our spiritual ears. Lord, may the truths of your Word truly be buried deep in our hearts, so deep that the devil can't come along and steal them. Lord, may you just guide us now, put a hedge of protection about us. And, Lord, may you bless these moments, Father, and may you just make them profitable. And Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. OK, so that's our, our goal, uh, the mission of the church, uh, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, again, there's a number of things that we do along the way to help and to encourage and to exhort the believers and so forth. And, and that's fine. But uh, in the end, if we're not fulfilling our purpose, then really we're wasting God's time on our own. And so we want to make sure that we're able to accomplish this mission, and we want to know, uh, we want to be able to get it done. Well, what are some of the hindrances uh, that would keep us from getting that done? Well, number one, the traditions of men. The traditions of men. All right? First of all, I think of our definition of spiritual today. Our definition of spiritual. In most churches, Christianity has become more of a philosophy than a way of life, it's a philosophy. It's not really a way of life. If a person professes to be a Christian, if they, I guess, um, have had the proper baptism, they, I guess, don't do anything that embarrasses the church outside of the church, you know, by their lifestyle. Um, they're considered to be a good Christian today. That's a, that's a good Christian. Um, I've heard pastors make the statement when speaking of a member that's just a tithing member or that comes to the church pretty faithful, uh, they'll say, man, just give me a dozen of those. Now, give me a dozen more of those. I could use those. But you want to know something? That's not... Those things in and of themselves, are. they, they may be good, but they're not, they're not necessarily marks of spirituality. You know, someone doesn't necessarily attend all the prayer meetings. He doesn't go soul winning. He, he doesn't get involved in the missions program. And, it, and maybe from time to time, he indulges in some vice or some things that he shouldn't necessarily. Oh, we don't know about it. We don't really hear about it. We don't see it on the outside. But... May I say, that person may not be seeking the Holy Spirit's leadership in their life. They may have no real separation from the world as we would call it, separated unto Christ. But they give all the right answers. They look like the part and they walk through the door and they even wear a tie and maybe a suit jacket from time to time. And, and they, 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 they do some of the things that should be Christian. And we say, boy, what a good Christian he is. What a good Christian she is. Let me tell you something. Coming to this church, every service doesn't make you a good Christian. Do you, know, do you know that just praying and reading your Bible doesn't make you a good Christian? I mean, I'm not trying to be negative. Those are good things, but, but understand that there's more to it. There is a walk and a relationship with Jesus Christ that is imperative and important and necessary in your life. There has to be a, a, an intimacy with you and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the hindrances of, of this plan is that we've had this, this watered-down version of what spirituality is today. And we watch people walk through the door and because they look the part and because they pretend to act the part on the outside, maybe on Sunday or something, we say, what a good Christian. Let me tell you something. That's going to be... That can create a tremendous hindrance ultimately in the work of Christ fulfilling the will and purpose of Christ for the church. Shallow Christianity is so common that it has become the norm today. It's the norm. And so so here's the bottom line. The believer who permits their relationship with Christ and their desire to please God, to demand a strict adherence to his word, and and a healthy separation from the world, is often viewed as being radical or fanatical. Man, you just need to back off a little bit. You're getting a little bit too crazy with this Christianity. I mean, come on now. Too many rules and regulations in your life. And then that's what people want of you. Oh, you're just so legalistic. Wait a second. Last time I checked, when I want to do something, that doesn't make it wrong. I mean, you're allowed to want to go drink a beer. You're allowed to want to go out and have immoral relationships. You're allowed to want to go out and pursue a lifestyle that's unscriptural, unbiblical, and everybody says that's fine, that's good. But I can't pursue a Christian life of separation without somebody telling me I'm fanatical, nuts, crazy, a lunatic, off, off the charts. What's wrong with that, folks? We're Christians. Why should we be ashamed of standing where God wants us to stand and living like God wants us to live? The fact is today is that our Christianity often is so shallow that even when we are the least bit spiritual, we are viewed as nuts. And let me tell you, that is a hindrance to the master plan. Now, I'm talking about the definition of spiritual what about our departure from service? Now, hold on, let me, let me touch on this. Uh, people, you and I, mankind, would rather discuss than work. We'd rather talk about things than work. Okay, now again, we're talking about the traditions of men. We, we, we see the definition of spirituality or spiritual, that kind of is kind of off, out of, of balance today. But also our departure from service. Man has a nature to discuss and study the word rather than to do the work of the ministry. You know, we see it in churches today. And if we're not careful, we'll see it in our church. It's easy to talk about winning souls. It's easy to talk about living for Christ. It's easy to talk about reading our Bibles and praying. It's easy to talk about studying and meditating on the word of God. But boy, it's a big difference doing it. You know, we recently, in the singles group, we just read uh, George Mueller, a book in George Mueller. We got a book of the month club at the singles department. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I enjoy teaching the singles because there's so much life there. And and I enjoy that. And and a number of them, I want to say this. I sure appreciate you singles coming out soul winning. I do, I do. I want you to tell you that. I appreciate that. But, but here's the thing. We just got done recently reading uh, George Mueller, And one of the things that we walked away with, those that had read the book and those that were in that book club, is that, man, we need to make some decisions and we need to put something in concrete that says this is what I'm going to do as a result of what I just read and what I just was inspired by. Because you know how easy it is to read it and then think, boy, I need to change. Or, boy, I need to do this. Or, man, prayer should be more important in my life. And then we walk away and we just do the old, same old, the same old. And you know what? It's easy to talk about what we need to do. It's easy to talk about the change that's necessary and needful in our life. It's another thing to get it done. Look at Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6, would you? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Again, we'd rather discuss things than to work, to do. Uh, And and so let's see what it says here in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now, that, that's an interesting passage, isn't it? I mean, you'd think, boy, this this church right here, I mean, the the the, 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 the writers telling them, what, leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ? I mean, what, what's going on here? Well, the therefore at the beginning of the passage points the reader back to chapter 5. Now, I want you to look at this. Note the emphasis in chapter 5, verse 12, just above it there. Because when he says, therefore, what he's saying is, as a result of what we just read, let me say what I'm going to say. Okay, so here it is now. Look at verse 12. For when, for the time, ye ought to be, what? Teach, what? Ye ought to be what? You ought to be teachers, Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You, you, just, you hear what's going on here? He says, you know, now think about what he's just saying here. When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You know what he's really saying? He's saying, therefore, because you ought to be teachers, but you're not. And you have to continually be rehearsing these same old doctrines over and over and be taught the same thing over and over and over. Therefore, let's quit wasting time and get with the program. I mean, the believer is saved to do what? Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He or she must be rooted, of course. They must be grounded in the word of God without a doubt. But that learning is to be put into practice. Now, see, the writer's pointing out that these believers were not where they should have been in their spiritual development. They just weren't where they were supposed to be by now. I mean, it's kind of like a child. You know, a child is born and, and there's certain stages of the life of that child. We look at their, by this, you know, by four, uh, I was going to say four months, they should be potty trained. Not quite. But anyway, <laughs> wouldn't you love that, parents? But anyway, the, the fact is that at a certain point, you know, four months or so, they, they're turning around or maybe crawling now or something. I don't know. And then pretty soon they're, they're up on their feet standing. And then there's another landmark where they're actually taking a step. And pretty soon they're being potty trained. And they should be potty trained before they're four. I just thought I'd throw that in. I just thought I'd throw it in. You, you don't have to agree, but it's a good idea. I heard about a great boxer recently that was, uh, um, was actually um, wasn't weaned from his mother till he was six years old. Now, again, in biblical days, that wasn't uncommon. I'm just going to be honest with you. That was not uncommon, okay? But the truth is, in America, if you're still being weaned at six years old, there's something wrong. <laughs> you know. So there are life stages, and we're to move along in a certain time period, and we're to take steps as, as we're supposed to take. And if we're not arriving, we're not where we're supposed to be, then there's a growth has been stunted. Okay? Now, listen, that's what the, 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 the uh, writer's saying. You guys should be at this stage in your Christian development, but you are way back here somewhere. You have not yet developed spiritually like you ought to have. Now, they were continuing and and seemingly content to rehash and revisit the same doctrines over and over again. That was okay with them. And when they should have been teachers, they were students. Sadly, this is the state of Christianity today in America. When we should be teachers, we are still students. You know what I'm saying? Our spiritual growth has been hampered and it's been hindered. It's been, it's been stunted in America somehow, some way. It's because we're not perfecting the saints as we ought to. And as a result of that, we're having some problems. And again, we're, we're talking here about the fact that, that there are some traditions of men, but, but we like to talk about church and we like to talk about things, but we don't want to do too much. And it's stunting our growth. We're content even to revisit and rehash the same doctrines each Sunday and sit and soak in the pew when God would have us as teachers of the Christian life. Now, notice again that the writer in verse 1 of our passage, chapter 6, he makes a a, a charge here. He says... um, he says to go on unto perfection. We're to go on unto perfection. And let me just say this again. We, you know, it's easy to spiritualize that. It's easy to say, well, he's talking about being, you know, walking in the spirit. And he's just talking about going to perfection to know the word of God and know the Lord. And but you know what? You know what we're missing in America? The doing part we got more self-help books and more, more Bible studies and more radio programs and internet options available than ever before. And yet we have a more shallow Christianity than ever in the history of America, in my mind. Now, maybe that's not the case. I didn't live back in 17, you know, 1850 uh, uh, before one of the Great Awakenings and so forth. But the fact is that today is that Christians today are very shallow. And, and, and so it's a concern that, that there is this going on to perfection isn't just about knowing our Bible, not knowing, you know, knowing Adam and Eve and knowing Noah and the ark and knowing a couple of the stories. It's about doing being doers of the word, not hearers only. You can't be perfected by only knowing you have, you're perfected when you are doing. Again, that, that's a foreign concept because today in America, you know, we don't want to have to work unless it's absolutely necessary. It'd be much easier just to get a check and not do anything. And let me tell you something. I don't say this to be offensive, but there's a big facet of welfare Christianity today. Yes, sir. On. You know, we are quick to want to receive, but we don't want to have to give. And that is a hindrance to the master plan. That's keeping people from being reached with the gospel. It's keeping churches from effectively reaching their potential for the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how busy we are studying our Bibles or discussing spiritual matters, if we fail to embrace our God-given purpose to witness for Christ and to win others to the Master, there is an element of immaturity that still prevails in our ranks. That's all there is to it. That that you, you... we can go ahead and say, well, that's just legalistic, telling you that you have to witness in order to be spiritually strong. Really? Is that, are we really going to go there? Would somebody even dare try to go to the Bible and say that you would never have to share the gospel, you never have to be a witness for Christ, and, and you can still be a mature, strong, vibrant Christian? Are you kidding me? After what Jesus gave as an example? When he said he came to seek and to save that which was lost, when he's the one that came and sacrificed his all on Calvary so that others could be saved. And we're saying, I can, as long as I know the Bible, as long as I'm in deep theological study, as long as I'm in that circle of friends and we get into the deeper things of the word of God, that's what's important. Really? Is that what God says, thinks is important? You know what I think God would be happy with? He'd be happy with me being a half-wit and still being out there handing out tracts and trying to witness for Jesus Christ than sitting here knowing the whole Bible and doing nothing with it. At least that's what I get, the impression I get reading the Bible. Now, I don't know if you've read it and you've learned something else, please show me. But I haven't seen it yet. Now, we can't afford to hide out in our studies anymore. We can't dwell in the walls of our churches growing fat on the truth while the world's perishing and going to hell. We can't do that. And the, the fact is, is that it is a hindrance when we have allowed the traditions of men to affect our ability to reach the world. And, and listen, it is affecting us. The mentalities that we addressed just here. The fact of, uh, you know, this aspect of simply, you know, learning but not doing. You know, uh, that is a, that, that's a cultural thing today. You know, I mean, I think of the Athenians, man. They, they sat around the gate just waiting to hear something new. You know, but they didn't do nothing with it. And finally, Paul shows up and tries to set them straight, and I was glad for that. But um, nonetheless, we have a real issue there. So, the traditions of men. Now, number two, what's another one of the hindrances? Some wrong examples. Not just the traditions of men, but what will hinder the master plan? Wrong examples or bad examples. We think of in the home. When you think of the home... uh, in our homes, it's not what a parent says that establishes the standard of conduct. It's what they enforce. Amen. Okay, now, now I understand that they need to be an example. Don't misunderstand what we're saying here. But, but it's not what I say is important. It's not what I say I'm, uh, is a standard in our home or required in our home. It's what I enforce as a standard. What I demand of them. What I hold them accountable for. That That's the real issue. Now, we're talking about hindrances of the gospel. Therefore, wrong examples can be a problem, even as they are in the home. Say, uh, you know, you may say the right things. You may endorse the right principles. But again, it's what you enforce that sets the standard. See, younger children soon learn what they can get away with by watching what their older brothers and sisters get away with. You, you know what I'm saying? Now, now watch what I'm going to tell you, okay? If that's the case, then you and I need to be very careful how we exhibit our Christianity before the new converts and the young Christian. Because they're watching their older brothers and sisters. And, And obviously... It's important to note that you say, well, then it's up to you to make this work. No, in the long run, see, that's the bad part. In my home, I can enforce things like that. I can really draw the line. I can even more so than ever say, listen, this, you're going to take a bath at this time. I don't care, you know, what the problem is. I don't care, you know, and you're, you're not going to dare go out without, you know, dressed up like this. Or you're not going to go to church without a tie on. Or you're not going to, you're not going to, uh, you know, uh, live in this home and not tithe. Or you're not going to live in this home and, and not, uh, uh, I don't know... Um, Be in church. You know, I can enforce those things and I can make them go. And then for all the kids go, boom, 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 boom. That's what's expected. That's what's required. There's no way I'm getting away with it because my brother or sister never got away with it. So why even push the the envelope? And that's usually how it works. But a church is different. Look at how many people there are here tonight. The the truth is, I can't say to you, you will be in, in Wednesday night prayer meeting. You will be. And I'm enforcing it. You go, fine, I'll go somewhere else. Because you all know better than the preacher. You know what's best for you and your family. Right? Well, we may not know what's best for us from God's perspective, but we think we know what's best for our families. Oh, well, we don't need to be there. We're good to go. We know enough about the book. Blah, 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 blah. Now, hold on a second. Here's the bottom line, though. I can't make you do those things. But you know what? Someone's watching you. That's a tremendous hindrance to the new convert. That, that really hampers our ability to reach the world with the gospel whenever the, the older children aren't what they're supposed to be. See, in God's house, that new convert is affected by every other convert, every other person. The convert learns more through observation than from instruction. The preacher preaches that the Bible teaches that, well, one should be faithful to the house of God, the church services. I mean, so much the more as you see the day approaching, right? And, and, and then the Holy Spirit says, amen, amen, in that convert's heart and says, you're right, preacher, I need to be in God's house. You're right. The word of God's true. The preacher stands up and says, one should tithe. One needs to live a Christian life, a separated life, a godly life. One ought to go out and witness and share the gospel with their friends and neighbors and family. The Holy Spirit says to that person, amen. I believe it, preacher. It's true. I know God's spoken to me. Not only is it in the word, but it's in my heart now. So he starts out obeying the Bible and following the spirit of God. Fired up, man. I mean, on fire for God. And then he starts noticing some of the older church members that are not doing it. Hmm. Well, I thought, I thought you as a Christian, you're supposed to be in God's house so much the more as you see the day approaching. I thought that you were robbing God when you didn't tithe. And, and I, I thought from the Word of God, from what I understood and what the Holy Spirit told me, that, you know, you ought to be prayerful about souls and trying to reach people with the gospel. And you ought to be visiting family and friends and telling them to come to church. And, but not everybody's doing that at my church. Some of my big brothers and sisters, they don't do that. Hmm. Well, he starts out obeying, he starts out doing those things, but he then becomes aware that some of those stronger members or those visible in leadership, they're not even doing it. And and then the zeal, the fervor, the the wonder of it all starts to evade or or start to pass away in his life. Starts to disappear. And you know what he starts doing? He starts disobeying the Holy Spirit. He knows what God put on his heart. But, I mean, obviously, this is the standard. This is. Because they're Christians too. and They're getting away with it. And they seem to be blessed. And God's still blessed in their life. And, well, I, I mean, I don't know what else to think. And pretty soon, though, he begins to quench the spirit in his life. And pretty soon he has a seared conscience. Toward God and the spirit of God. And now he finds himself that he finds that, you know, I'm not really getting what I used to get out of the services. It's not like it used to be. And and matter of fact, disappointment kind of starts setting in. And he he find, he soon finds that we soon find that he goes by the wayside. And we wonder, where's that Christian? Where's that new believer at? They got so faithful. They were here for just a short time and they're gone. You know, you and I are to be examples In church attendance, our priorities, our giving, our outlook and spirit, our lifestyle. Those are all things we ought to be examples of. And a new convert can easily be discouraged when they get on Facebook and they hear a choir member, a Sunday school worker, a bus worker, liking things that are worldly and are inconsistent with godly living. When those who visibly serve in the church are heard complaining, criticizing, condemning the pastor, condemning his vision, condemning the program. come
0: on,
1: And the new convert is quickly dismayed and soured. And when the new convert is excited about the services and revival meetings and they make it a priority to be in attendance no matter what the cost. But when they arrive, they don't find their Sunday school teacher there. Or their Christian friend. Or their positional leader doesn't show up. You know what? That quickly quenches their zeal and provides a platform for Satan to sow seeds of discouragement into their soul. That is a hindrance to the master plan. You see how that could be a hindrance to going out winning people and our fruit remaining? Do you see how that could be a problem? Now, I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, it is a constant battle to make sure that I'm where I ought to be so that others don't get tripped up over me. And it is more important than ever in the day and age in which we live with the access to the media that we have, even as just normal church members, that we keep our fingers off those little keyboards and we keep our mouths shut so that we don't discourage the brethren. If you're going to sin, don't do it publicly, please. Give God a chance to work in your life. Because when you start making it public, you're going to have to eventually be dealt with. And then you're going to say we're legalistic. And then you're going to get angry and leave and go somewhere where you can live like you want to live and still be a Christian like you know you are. That's what happens and that's how it works. Amen. Number three
0: <laughs>
1: Number three. The traditions of men. Number two, the wrong examples. Number three, and, and this lost fruit. We're gonna move quickly now, okay? Those were the big points, okay? Here's the little ones. Lost fruit. You doing all right, Sandy? You like that? I thought you did. I could see that smile from ear to ear. I'm glad you're here tonight. I feel better already. <laughs> Number three, lost fruit. That's a hindrance. To the master plan. Lost fruit. Well, you know what? You can't hurt a farmer more than when he works all year long sowing seed only to lose his harvest. I mean, a total wipeout. The farmer is simply crushed, isn't he? I mean, I sowed seed. I spent time sowing it, sowing it and sowing it, seeking a harvest. And now it's time to reap the reward of all that sowing and harvest gone. That is discouraging. Luke chapter 8, verse 5, the Bible says a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trodden down and the fowl of the air devoured it. The Bible likens the soul winner to, the, to a farmer. I mean, we're sowing seed, we're reaping a harvest. I mean, so that is a, a, a picture that God paints for us as sowers of the seed, farmers. Now, we sow the seed, which is the word of God, and our harvest are the souls of men and women. Not only can you hurt a farmer by him losing, her losing their harvest, but, you know, you cannot hurt parents any more than when they've lost a child. And listen, even if that child doesn't pass away or die, even if that child's alive but chooses a lifestyle which damages their relationship between mom and dad and them, and keeps them from communicating as God would intend a parent and children to communicate. Something within a parent dies when that happens. You know what? As believers, the Bible likens us to what? Parents. Spiritual parents. We become spiritual mothers and fathers of those that, sow the, that we sow the seed and, and ultimately are born again into the family of God. Paul the Apostle was the spiritual father we, 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 we seem to think based on the Word of God. He calls Timothy a son in the faith. He seems to be a spiritual father to him. Whether or not he actually led him to Christ or not, I don't know. But he was obviously a very integral part if he wasn't the actual one that led him. But he's called his son in the faith. Now, when a farmer loses a harvest or a parent a child, it can have a devastating effect. And you know what? The same is true spiritually with the church. You know, you can't hurt a church any more than when they continually lose. Their fruit, boy. That I mean, we're talking about new converts now. We're talking about people that come to Christ. Okay, somebody, you go out, you witness to somebody. They show up at church. They begin to to get plugged in. They they get baptized. They begin to grow. Maybe even they go to discipleship for a while, or maybe they continue to follow through with discipleship. But then all of a sudden, life seems to be going great. God's blessing, and all of a sudden, some difficult times come into their life. Trouble seem to. Rack their mind and their body and their selves, and something else goes down, they see, no, you don't see them anymore. Well, that hurts a church. And whether anybody verbalizes it or not, it's devastating. You know, we don't maybe go around going, man, that's ripping my heart out, that's ripping my guts out. It seems like all these people were getting, they come into the church, they get plugged in, they're going fine, they may even, even start to get plugged into service, and boom, they leave, and it's like, oh. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but that hurts. And unfortunately, sometimes it leaves scars in believers' lives that aren't quite as strong even. And it causes them to get discouraged. And it causes them to ultimately lose sight of Christ and start to feel the hurt of the ministry. And they start to think, it's not worth it! What can it hurt your church. Think about the effect that that has on unsaved friends and family members of that person who went back and fell into sin again. Doesn't that bother you more than anything? You know what's sad today? That doesn't bother us more. You know what bothers us more is that we just lost somebody that we thought was pretty nice and somebody that helped with our church and somebody we could fellowship with. But we don't ever once think about all the souls laying by the wayside in the wake of their fall. Man, we ought to be brokenhearted for them, not us. We ought to be brokenhearted for their families who at one point started seeing growth in their life, who saw God working in their life and who recognized the change that God was performing in their life. And we should be concerned for them because they're the ones who say, I want nothing to do with that God, because that was obviously all a big fake. He's just a phony. It was just a fad. It was just something he was going through. It wasn't real. And I'm going to tell you something. We ought to feel for them more than anyone. And for the one who backslid. God help us to realize that this is one of the hindrances, though, of the, the master plan. When folks come into the church and start to take steps and then slip back out. Boy, that hurts the church and its effort to reach the world with the gospel. Not just because the numbers of the church fall, but because the spirit of the church is, a, is attacked. Now, finally, number four. I told you they were quicker. Here it is. This is the last one. It kind of goes with that la- the, the one we just talked about. Again, the, the solution to overcoming lost fruit. Well, the Lord admonishes Peter, as we mentioned already in one of our studies. Feed my lambs. That's the solution. And that ties into our last hindrance. And here it is. Failing to perfect. When we fail to perfect, all of a sudden we're not going to be able to fulfill the Great Commission and we're not going to be able to to do the Master Plan as God intended. Now, if we could overcome this one hindrance, perfecting the saints, if we could just perfect the saints, everything else, all the other hindrances would automatically fall by the wayside. Now, God gave preachers to perfect the saints. We know that. Ephesians 4.12, we've read it already tonight. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ. Again, this is one of the most pointed statements in the Word of God. Perfecting the saints. Preacher, you are to perfect the saints. Now, to perfect the believer is to help them realize their Father's purpose and reach their full potential for Christ. You've got to know your purpose so we've got to help people understand their purpose. We're knocking on doors, and we're knocking on doors, and we're talking to people. And man, they're religious people, and some of them go to church all the time, and we start talking to them about why did Christ die, and what, you know, what was the purpose of Him coming. And Man, they don't even know what Christ's purpose was, let alone their purpose. And unfortunately, if we don't teach believers what their purpose is, within the context of the body of Christ, and their life in this world, they're going to be easily led astray. So the Father's purpose, and then ultimately to help them reach their full potential for Christ. Now, when a believer understands their purpose and is experiencing their potential for Christ, they are unlikely to become discouraged and dissatisfied with the Christian life. Unlikely. Very unlikely. The work that a believer does in reaching others for his Master will keep them grounded and it will keep them growing. Now, more than not, it is not what we're doing that is the problem in our own lives. It's what we're not doing. That's where our problems really come from and stem from. See, most Christians aren't, aren't involved in gross immorality. They're not bound in staggering vice. As a whole, they're, they're good folks. They're respectable citizens. I mean, as a whole, their lives are neither excessively wicked, nor are they exceptionally godly. It isn't what they're doing that's the problem. But what we're not doing. See, most believers are not fulfilling the will of God for their lives. You say, what's that mean? Well, they're not passionately pursuing a relationship with Christ. They're not persistently proclaiming the cause of Christ. They're not participating purposefully in the church of Christ. Those areas are often neglected. So it's not what they're doing. I say they're not out being gross sinners. They're not doing horrible things and heinous crimes against humanity, but they're not doing what God's called them to do either. And when we're not engaged in the purpose that God gave us to fulfill, when we're not experiencing the joy that comes through fulfilling God's purpose for our life, then guess what happens? Well, we are more susceptible to Satan and his many wiles, as well as the many attractions that the world has to offer. And you know, when a believer fails to go on to perfection, or to actively be involved in the work of winning souls and reaching the lost, they will often become complacent and even discontented with their Christian life. People want to have purpose. And they want to feel that they're accomplishing something, fulfilling something, doing something bigger than themselves. Listen, God has already provided for all of that. We just have to make sure that they understand what it is. When people become discontented with their Christian life, they rarely realize where their unwelcome feelings are coming from. As a matter of fact, they even begin to blame the church or possibly others for their misguided feelings. Tell me, that doesn't hurt the cause of Christ. And the whole nature of our faith, you got to understand this, the whole nature of your faith and my faith is rooted in the unselfish life of our Master, Jesus Christ. Do you get that? The whole nature of our faith, the very being, why we exist, is rooted in the unselfish life of our Master, Jesus Christ. I mean, He purposefully gave Himself to the will of the Father. He lost He he gave Himself to His lost creation. He gave Himself to the cross of Calvary. He did that sacrificially. The Christian life is one of giving selflessly and sacrificially for others. And when a person is so so fixated on self and is so selfish and self-centered that they cannot see the need to reach others with the gospel that Jesus Christ so graciously provided and gave to them, and they are determined and they are they are destined and they are bound to become very apathetical, even critical, because they just never figured out what their purpose is, and they feel like it's useless. This whole thing of church is a waste of time. What's the point? All they want is my money, all they want is my time, all they want is my effort, so what? And I'm telling you. It's a problem when it comes to the master plan being fulfilled. It's a hindrance. We have to understand that we must be perfected. Now, here's the thing, and I close with this. The saint that is being perfected is a saint who is growing in Christ personally and growing in their ability to reach out and save and serve others. Someone says, the Christian life is not just about saving souls. Okay, what's it about? What is it about? You say, it's growing in Christ. For what purpose? It's learning the Word. Why? What's the reason for all of that? Why is a Christian to be exhorted? Why is a Christian to be encouraged? Why are Christians supposed to be educated? Because we're not... We're to be doers of the Word. Not just living a good life and being an example. Because isn't that what they think Jesus came to earth for? To be an example of good living? but we know He came for a bigger purpose. Not just to live well, but to die well. And ultimately become the sacrifice that would permit all of us to come gracefully into the presence of Jesus Christ and to God. The chief shepherd orders the pastor to take the oversight. To take the oversight of the flock and get the people to do something. You know what that is? Work. When you got a church full of Of perfected saints. You know what you got? A working church. And by the way. The chief shepherd doesn't say it's optional for the pastor. Whether he perfects or not. He says no. You are to perfect the saints. That's your job. If that's the case then. If perfecting the saints is the pastor's direct orders from the Lord. Then get this. Then go on to perfection. Is God's direct order to each one of the laymen. And go on to perfection. Do. Allow God to work. Let the pastor perfect. When he's preaching the word, then apply it to your lives. Don't just say, well, that's, I, I think that yeah, he's right. It's in the Bible. No. go. You know what? It's in the word of God. I've heard it from the pastor's mouth. I see it in the word of God. The Holy Spirit confirms it. I'm just going to be obedient now. You'll be amazed how your whole life will change When you make up your mind to stop trying to set your own affairs in order, stop trying to guide, take each step according to your purpose and plan. Instead, just say, God, it's all yours. Here it is. It's my heart, my life, my all. Whatever you want with it. Well, I tell you what, it's a liberating thought to know that you're not responsible for anything that goes on in your life. God is. Because He's the one that's guiding you. (laughs) God, if you tell me to go knock on that door and somebody gets mad, well, guess what? It's on you. God, if you tell me to witness to my family member and they say, I don't want to ever talk to you again. Oh, Lord, that's on you. God, if you tell me to be faithful in church and my family says that I'm a nutcase, a lunatic, crazy, then that's on you, Lord. If you tell me to tithe and to give to this fund or give to that fund and I obey and Lord, all of a sudden, you know, this, this happens in my life. You're responsible, God. I'm not being just, I'm, I'm going to be honest with what you told me to do. I'm going to be good with my finances. But Lord, if you tell me to do something and I do it, then guess what? If it was really you that told me and it wasn't just me trying to show off or do something out of my flesh, then Lord, you're responsible. See, God's responsible for everything in my life if I'm truly yielded to Him and His will. It's an, it's an awesome place to be. Hindrances. Hindrances of the master plan. Wow. Traditions of men. Wrong examples, lost fruit, and finally, failing to perfect. Let's go ahead and do our best as as believers to be perfected and ultimately do our best to try to help our fruit and then work with them, encourage them, strengthen them that our fruit will remain. But don't get discouraged when things don't always turn out right, folks. Because it doesn't always turn out right. Why, Why would it be any different in the church than it is everywhere else in our life? In the sense of things just don't always go the way they go. Why? Because you're dealing with people out there. And guess who you're dealing with in here? People. People make mistakes. People mess up. That's life. Love them. Show compassion to them. Teach them. Encourage them. Smile at them. Love them. Because they need you and they need the Lord. And they're not going to get that if we start being mean and nasty to them. doesn't do any good. So love people, okay? No matter where they're at, no matter where they're from, no matter what they're doing. Love them. Alright, let's go ahead and pray. Father,